Right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett. We're going to be continuing our Bible study this morning, our study on the knowing the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is part seven of the day, uh, knowing the Holy Spirit. And we're going to actually be talking about Pentecost today. Uh, just so you know, uh, all of our previous Bible uh, lessons or uh, studies on this topic have been archived on our website at Lighthouse Discipleship Center, uh, excuse me, lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center, where we have over 5,000 followers who have been watching us over the last few weeks uh, 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 worldwide, from Pakistan to India. Uh, parts of Africa, Asia, Latin America, all over the world. So praise God for that. Um, at any point in time, you can support our ministry financially so we can <coughs> continue to bring these messages uh, worldwide and to you uh, through our, our, our website, lighthousediscipleship.org. And we appreciate for that. We are a 501c3, those of us who are in the United States. And so uh, anyway... Uh, uh, we just thank you for those who have been supporting us so we can uh, bring this ministry to you. Uh, we will have a Bible study tonight on Everless Change. Uh, it will be our, our second lesson uh, tonight at 6 o'clock. And then we have a Bible study on the Holy Spirit right now on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. And that one's almost wrapping up. We still have a couple more weeks on that one. So anyway, that's our calendar. <coughs> those, excuse me, those are our announcements. And anyway, uh, uh, we're going to kind of jump right into our message this morning on knowing the Holy Spirit. Now I want to go to our, our key verse for this uh, series from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to look at verse 14 again. The last verse of uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. I'm going to read it from the New King James first. The the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then, like I've been reading the last couple of weeks from the Message translation, I don't normally teach from this translation or paraphrase, uh, but uh, I, I I do like it in this context. And Paul says, uh, the amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We teach in this church, and Paul taught, and we teach in this church, the amazing love, uh, the amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ. We also teach the, about the extravagant love of the Father. We teach a lot about knowing Jesus. We teach a lot about knowing the Father or knowing God. But we're also teaching in this aspect of our teaching and our, our messages about knowing the Holy Spirit, having an intimate friendship uh, with the Holy Spirit. And so we believe that's key. I believe we need to know the full Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and have a living relationship with all three. So we started out the first two weeks talking about this relationship in general, uh, about with the Holy Spirit. We spent one week talking about the Holy Spirit as it relates to wind. And then we spent the last two weeks talking about the three different baptisms that are in the New Testament. And ending with uh, spending a, a week and a half on uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to be looking at the Holy Spirit in regards to... Uh, Pentecost 
And uh, and so with that in mind, we're going to talk about Pentecost. And with that Pentecost, we're going to be looking at three major feasts that Israel uh, had has uh, celebrated throughout uh, ancient history. And uh, we're going to be looking at those feasts, particularly one feast, the middle feast, the Feast of Weeks, uh, which has everything to do with Pentecost. And so, and so we're going to be looking at that more clearly today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and join with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to begin our study today. Acts chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 1. Excuse me. Let's get a little bit of a backdrop of what's going on here before we get to Pentecost. Luke is writing the book of Acts. It's the second book that he wrote. He wrote the book of Luke. And now he's written the book of Acts. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he, Jesus, also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, <coughs> excuse me, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. There's a lot been going on here, but these are, uh, Jesus had just been crucified. He had just been buried. He had just been rose from the dead, and which is the gospel message in its core. And 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus was teaching Based on verses 3 and 4, he was, uh, excuse me, verse 3, he was teaching 40 days on the kingdom of God. Okay, this was before the ascension, this was after the resurrection, before the ascension, Jesus spent 40 days teaching on the kingdom of God. But he gave specific instructions at the end of the book of Luke, and also in the, at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, to wait for the promise of the Father. There was a very specific time. There was a very specific date. <coughs> We're going to look at this more clearly today. You know, uh, and it was actually going to be during this feast, the second feast that we'll look at today, the Feast of Weeks, which is, has to do with Pentecost. Okay, now let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And we'll pick it up in verse 1. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1. And when it says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, we'll come back to that, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues, as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Let's go back to verse 1 real quick. 
when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were with one accord in one place. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. See, Pentecost did not start with these 120 who were meeting in this upper room in Acts chapter 1 and 2. They had been celebrating this feast called the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, for hundreds of years. Okay? This, is not, this was not something new. It says when the day of Pentecost had fully come. There's three major feasts that Israel has celebrated through, throughout the years, throughout the centuries, the holidays, celebrations. And all three of these feasts, every able-bodied male had to attend these feasts every year. The first one is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is also known as Passover. Okay? This first feast, the, 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 the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is also called Passover, began in every spring. You'll first see this, uh, this, this, this feast being mentioned during the Exodus, the night before they left. The last plague that hit Israel was the death of the firstborn. And God gave, uh, I think this is in uh, Exodus chapter 12, 13 and 14, specifically Exodus chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 12, where God gives them specific instructions. They were not delivered by some mighty hand of God, and, and in, in the sense that uh, some miracle, they were delivered by the Lamb. Because he gave them the instructions that when they, they were to, that they prepare a lamb and consume the sacrifice, and he also said that there was to, to, to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the, 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 the house, which symbolizes the cross. And when the death angel passed over, that's why we have Passover, the death angel passed over, he says, when I see the blood, the death will not come in your home, the death of the firstborn. How many of you know Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren? I'm not here so much talk, teaching about Passover today, but this is the first. This is the first feast, and this is the feast of unleavened bread. It's a feast of Passover when the angel of death would pass over, and when it saw the blood, it would pass over. But when the blood was not there, there was a death in the house, the death of the firstborn. How many of you know that when when we come to judgment before for God one day, if we have the blood on the doorpost of this house? And the Bible calls us, we are the house of God. We are the tabernacle of God. And on this house, if there's the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, the death angel will pass over. That's all symbolic to, to the, this whole Old Testament feast. is symbolic of what Jesus has provided for us. How many of you know we're saved because of the blood of the Lamb? We're saved because of the blood of Jesus that's been placed in our, our lives this is the first feast. So again, let me just recap real quick uh, for those of you joining us. We're talking this morning about Pentecost. And it says in, in Acts chapter 2, when the, when, the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. This Pentecost is one of three major feasts that Israel has been celebrating for years. Pentecost didn't start in Acts chapter 2. They've been celebrating Pentecost for years. 
It's called, it's called the Feast of Weeks. There's three major feasts. The first major feast, which I was just talking about briefly, is the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or Passover. Okay, I'm going to come back to some of that. I'm just right now just giving you a list of these three feasts. The second feast is the Feast of Weeks. It's also called the Feast of Harvest, or the Feast of Firstfruits. And it's called Pentecost as well. We'll kind of come back to that because that's the nature of our, our study today. And this, this feast of, of weeks was specifically, and you'll find this in the law, you'll find this in the Torah, was seven weeks after Passover. Whenever Passover was, seven weeks after that, seven times seven is 49th, and the 50th day, 50th day was Passover. The, the word Pentecost simply means 50. Okay? On the 50th day, there was a celebration of harvest, a celebration of first fruits. We'll come back to that. We'll spend some more time on that in just a minute. But the third feast that, that was celebrated is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this one was celebrated in the fall. Passover was in the spring. Tabernacles was in the fall. I've done a little more study on the Feast of Tabernacles when I talk about the birth of Jesus. Because I believe Jesus was born around, around this feast. But the Feast of Tabernacles is also called the, the, feast, the, the, the feast of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S, Booths. It's also called the Feast of Trumpets. It's a feast of ingathering. It's the end of the year harvest. Whereas the, 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 the Pente Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, was the first fruits, the first harvest. The Feast of Tabernacles was the end of the year harvest. Okay? These are just little FYI little notes. These are not so much the scope of my study so far. You don't have to turn there. But if you go to Exodus chapter 5 verse 1, Moses told Pharaoh, Let my people go that we may hold feasts unto in the wilderness. Some of, most translations just make that singular, but some translations make that plural. Moses, and what's my point? My point is that these preordained, there was a preordained plan of God to deliver his people. This whole exodus, this whole deliverance out of Egypt is symbolic of how we are delivered because Jesus Christ is the real lamb. Are you following me? Am I making sense so far? In Matthew 5.17, again, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus said, Think not that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill the law. There's a lot of things that are in the law, and we're going to be speaking about these three feasts in, in general this morning, and more specifically this morning. These are part of the law. There's other things that are part of the law. I've spent time before talking about some of the different sacrifices and offerings that they've done. Right now we're talking about the different feasts. All these things are symbolic and point or foreshadow of what Jesus did. They're all, they're all point to Jesus. Back then they were just an example, an illustrated example by law. But they all point to Jesus. And Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of Passover. Jesus is the fulfillment of Pentecost. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. And we'll talk about that a little more in just a minute. Okay? 
Jesus brought substance to all these types and shadows that we see in the Old Testament. Jesus has brought reality to all of these three different feasts that we celebrate. Jesus is the Passover lamb. We don't have to celebrate Passover like they did in the Old Testament because Jesus is a lamb. We celebrate the resurrection. We call it Easter. But we celebrate resurrection every day of the year. Okay? We celebrate Pentecost every day of the year. We also celebrate Tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacles when we get to that. Okay? We do not live... Let me, let, I want to make a major point here, though. We don't live here in the New Testament. We don't live under the practice of these ma three major feasts, but we do live daily under the principle of these three major feasts. That makes sense? I want to say that again. We don't... In the New Testament, we don't live practically under the law of these three major feasts, but we do live under the principle of these three major feasts every day. Okay? There's the, the, there's the letter of the law and there's the spirit of the law. And we live under the principle of these three feasts. We don't live under the practice of them. That doesn't mean I, I, I'm okay having a feast. I'm okay if I, having a party. I'm okay. There's something to celebrate about Jesus being our Passover lamb. There's something to celebrate about Pentecost. There's something about celebrating about the Feast of Tabernacles, which I believe has a lot to do not only with the first coming of Jesus, but also has to do with the second coming of Jesus. How many know when Jesus comes again, it's going to be something to celebrate about? And we are going to have a feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay? That's going to be awesome. But, the, but Jesus is the substance of... We, 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 we don't celebrate the, the, the practice of them. We're not under the law. But we do celebrate the substance of these feasts. We do celebrate the meaning of these feasts. Let's, read, let's look at these feasts in a little bit more detail. Okay? The Passover, also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which to me speaks to the cross. It was fulfilled through Jesus at the cross. Jesus was the Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover meal. His blood had cleansed me from all of my sins. And it, when I have faith in Jesus, the lamb of God, who has delivered me from my Egypt, from my bondage, from my sin, from my slavery, from my sickness, from my lack, from the curse of the law. Christ has delivered me. He has redeemed me. And when I partake of the Lamb, when I put faith in the Lamb of God, not the feasts, not the, the, the little Lamb of God with four, the little lamb with four legs and a, and a, a wool coat, I'm talking about the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who's taken away the sins of the world. When I put faith in Jesus, God, through Christ, delivers me from my Egypt, from my bondage, from my sin, from my slavery. He sets me free. And I can now feed on the Lamb of God, Jesus, daily by faith, not just once a year. Daily, I come to the table of remembrance and celebrate my deliverance from my Egypt. We have something to celebrate, not just once a year, even though we kind of celebrate it during, during Easter time. 
I get that. But there's something to celebrate every day of our lives. Today is the day of salvation. Okay? But the, the second feast, which we really want to focus on today, but let me say some things to it. I'll come back to, I'll come back to it again in a few moments. But the Pentecost, again, is the first harvest. It's 50 days. It's literally, specifically, 50 days after Passover. You can find all that instruction in Leviticus chapter 23. And I, I believe very, uh, more specifically, verse 16. We're not going to turn there necessarily right now. But... How many of you know that if you believe, remember, remember the last, my last study, the last two weeks, I talked about three different baptisms. We had the baptisms into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. We had the baptism into water by a pastor or leader after you've been baptized into the, into the body of Christ, after you've been saved. And then we had the baptism of the Holy Spirit by Jesus after you've been saved. The, the most important of, 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 of all these three feasts, the one that's the most important is Passover. Because it speaks of the cross. Okay? But if you have believed on Jesus, you are born again, and you are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. If you have partaken of the Lamb, and His blood is on your doorpost, so to speak, because we are the house of God, you are are saved. The the death angel will has passed over you. That's the first baptism. But but let, let me say this: even though we see we had that we have a feast for the cross called Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. But we also have a feast for Pentecost, the feast of weeks. There are two different feasts. And the second feast is 50 days after the first feast. My, one of my points I'm trying to make is these are two different events. Being saved and being, being saved, which means you're baptized into the body of Christ, and being baptized by the Holy Spirit are two different events. They were two different feasts. They were 50 days apart. You know? And so, but Israel had, had, had an independent feast for Pentecost, and they after Passover. They had an independent feast for Passover, and they had an independent feast for Pentecost. Two different feasts. Hopefully you get my point. And it was 50 days later. And where do you know where they celebrated the first feast of Pentecost? At Mount Sinai, where the law was given. And we'll come to that in just a few moments. The first feast was actually at Mount Sinai, where the law was given. Okay? We'll come to that in just a few moments. We'll spend a little time on that. But I can experience Pentecost every single day. Just like I can celebrate Passover every single day. Why? Because Jesus is my Passover lamb. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's something I can celebrate all the days of my life. That's awesome. Now let me spend a little more time, a little time on the Feast of Tabernacles real quick. And then I'll come back to uh, some of these things. The Feast of Tabernacles, also called the... the um, the Feast of Booths. I know we don't hear that a lot, but in, I'm not going to go through all these different scriptures, but you can study this in, again in Leviticus chapter 23. You can also, there's also some, uh, uh, this is also spoken of in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, uh, where they, they celebrate these booths. You'll also see this uh, was celebrated when Jesus came into Jerusalem. We call that Palm Sunday. 
How was the feast of the feast of booths was going on during that that celebration? That's why they had all these palm branches. They had they made little booths. They made little homes. It was also called the feast of trumpets. Okay, it, 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 it was celebrated when they got into the promised land, and it was celebrated when they came into when Jesus came in Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. They built these temporary booths for this week. They were temporary. It's also spoke of in Zechariah chapter 14 about these booths. And I believe, now some people may disagree with some of this, and I understand that, but I believe this, the, the, this, tabernacle, this feast of tabernacles or feast of booths or feast of, feast of trumpets speak of two things. It speaks of, first of all, Jesus' first coming into Jerusalem. Hosanna. Our, our, our Jesus who has come, but it also speaks of the return of Jesus. Jesus is coming again. He's our soon coming king. And some people disagree, disagree with that whole uh, doctrine that he's coming again, but uh, that's, that's what we believe, okay? And I believe we will be celebrating this, this, boost, this feast of booths forever. Here's the bottom line. Let me put these three three feasts together in the bottom line. The first is that Jesus is my Passover meal. I have partaken. I I've heard of Jesus. I heard of the cross. I heard the gospel, and I believed and I partook of Jesus. And that's my Jesus is my Passover lamb. That's the first meal. The second one is I have partaken of Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the feast. That that that's the feast of weeks. Now that I have the whole, Jesus, now that I've been baptized into the Holy Spirit, I now live in the present time. I live in a temporary booth. I live in a temporary tabernacle. This body is temporary until Jesus comes, until I die or Jesus comes. But at the return of Jesus and his kingdom, I will receive a permanent house. I will have a new body. And we will have a new heaven. And we will have a new earth. We are living in a temporary booth. We are living in a temporary tabernacle. Until Jesus comes. That's awesome. And Jesus said we are to occupy until he comes. There's work to do. There's people who need to be saved. We are here. We are here temporarily. But we are here now. There's going to be a new day where we get a new body. We get a new, a permanent place. We are citizens in heaven, but we are sojourners in the earth. But while we're here, we have a tent. We have a tabernacle. We have a body that we can do things with. Paul, he's living forever with Jesus right now, but he doesn't have a body. He can't do things on the earth now because he doesn't have a temporary booth on the earth now. He's with Jesus forever, and we, we, we do benefit from his letters that he wrote to us called the New Testament. But, and I'm just using him as an example, but he's not in a temporary booth now. He's with the Lord forever, praise God. But, so he can't do anything outside of what he already wrote to us, but we can while we're still here. That's awesome. That, that you know... Uh, <coughs> <coughs> Not only are our bodies, I believe, temporary booths, but I believe our local churches are almost, in a sense, like to these little booths. 
You know, we, we already talked about this a couple weeks ago. We are part of the universal church. We might fellowship in a local church because I can't fellowship with everybody worldwide, even though we have a lot of people watching us. We have over 5,000 people watch us every week. I don't fellowship with them. I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean and maybe I should do more, but I, I got a lot to do. And God's called me to be a pastor here. Uh, you know, there are people who travel worldwide and whatnot. God hasn't called me to do that. God has not released me to do that. And, uh, but I'm not pastoring a lot of these people. I might be in one sense to, to don't follow me every week. But even then, that's only 5,000 people over a world that has billions of people. And uh, millions of people. That makes sense? And, and, and I'm part of the universal church, but I have a part to play in the local church where I'm at now. It's a temporary booth. And uh, one day we will be forever together, and there won't be any booths. We will be forever uh, <laughs> together. Hopefully I'm, I'm making sense of this. The Feast of Booths is also called, or the Feast of Tabernacles is also called the Feast of Trumpets. It says in First Thessalonians 4.16, and I'm, again, I'm not going to turn there, I just because of the time, but uh, it's, it talks about, Paul talks about how Jesus will descend from the heavens. <laughs> And there'll be the shout of the archangel angel, and the trump, the final trump, the last trump will sound and the rule and reign with God and, and a new heaven and a new earth. And I'm paraphrasing some of this stuff, but there will be a last trump. And that's when Jesus comes again. Praise God. And he will come to rule and reign. And we will rule and reign with him. I can experience... Just like I can experience the Passover meal every day of my life, I can experience Pentecost every day of my life. I can daily experience the Feast of Tabernacles because today is the day of salvation. There is coming a day where I will get a new, new heaven. There will be a new heaven, new earth. I will have a new body and I will live with Him forever. But I can experience salvation now. I'm, it's going to even be more glorious when He comes again and I'm with Him forever. But I can experience salvation. I can experience the benefits of salvation today. Okay, it's a daily thing. Yes, there's more to come at the return of Jesus. I'm not watering that down, but I'm also not watering down. There is part of that salvation I can experience today. today. I can experience everlasting life. I can experience eternal life now. Because Jesus says, this is eternal life that you know me. That we have a relationship with him. And we're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. We're talking about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're talking, I'm really talking about having a relationship with the full Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's really what I'm talking about. I'm emphasizing the Holy Spirit, but I'm talking about having a, I, I'm not saying we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and no longer have a relationship with the Father and the Son. No, I, I don't believe we just have a relationship with the Son and we don't have a relationship with the, the Holy Spirit and the Father. I believe we have a relationship with all three. We're highlighting the Holy Spirit, but I can have that relationship now. I'm going to have it face-to-face -face for all eternity, but I can experience God in my life now. I can experience the Holy Spirit now. I can have a relationship with Him now. When you get saved, all three of these New, New Testament baptisms take place that I talked about the last week. You, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the church. The, uh, the, the church baptizes you in, uh, into water, or a leader of that church, and, the and then the Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Let's look at these three different baptisms, as well as these three different feasts, as they relate to the exodus of Israel out of 
uh, Egypt. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at these three three feasts as well as somewhat these three uh, baptisms simultaneously as we look at the this whole Exodus experience out of Egypt. Remember, Israel was delivered from Egypt with all these plagues. The last one was the death of the firstborn. But the Passover meal, the night before they were they left Egypt, they celebrated the first Passover. It's also called the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we are baptized into the body of Christ when we partake of the Lamb of God. When we hear the message of the cross. Passover, I love it because the, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When we hear that message and we believe it, when we partake of Jesus, we receive Jesus. And, he, we, and, and when we receive Jesus, we are in a sense putting the blood on the doorpost of our, our house. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This house has, has, has on it the blood of Jesus. And the death angel has no place to trespass in this house. Why? Because I am washed by the blood of the Lamb. Okay? Um, we're baptized into the body of Christ. But I want you to know something too. This is a, just a little footnote. You can read this in Exodus chapter 12 verse 38, but you can also read about this in Acts chapter 7 verse 38 when Stephen was given the message. And it talks about how how even in, you know, at, at the pass, first Passover meal, as they partook, they were instructed to have a lamb, uh, uh, lamb. There were other instructions. They were have to have their shoes on. They were to have their bags packed. They're ready to go. They're ready to leave. There was an expectation that the, we're, we're going home. We're going to go to the wilderness to celebrate these three feasts. That was the expectation. But at the same point in time, uh, it, wh whosoever house had the blood of the lamb. The death angel passed over. And it says in Exodus chapter 12 that there was a mixed multitude that left Egypt. There was Egyptians that left too. There were Egyptians that were in these Israelite homes, uh, protected by the blood of the Lamb. In Acts chapter 7, Paul, I mean Stephen, calls it the church. It was the church in the wilderness. Israel is a church. And throughout Old Testament history, Israel is called the congregation of God. The first baptism we talk about is how the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the family of God, into the church of God, into the universal church, which has everything to do with the first Passover. When they partook of the Passover meal, the lamb on the first Passover, they became a member of the family of God, of the congregation of God, a mixed multitude protected by the blood of the lamb. This is all symbolic of being baptized into the family of God like we are in the New Testament. This happened in the Old Testament. And, and Stephen, a deacon just like Philip, who we spent a lot of time talking about, he also, he said, it was called the church. And that's in Acts chapter 7, verse 38. Then what happened afterwards? We have the, 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 the last plague. Israel is leaving Egypt. And the first thing that happens is they come to the Red Sea. This is also called the baptism of Moses. It's a type of water baptism. All the church, it was a mixed multitude, 
Stephen calls it the church that left Egypt and was in the wilderness. The whole congregation of God walked through the Red Sea with a cloud, God's presence overshadowing them. Okay? And as they came out of the Red Sea, all their enemies drowned in the judgment of God, the Red Sea, as the Red Sea came back. In the New Testament, we have we call water baptism. And it's the death and burial of our, of our old man. And we have a new man. And when we come out of the water, your past sins are destroyed. Just like Pharaoh's army was destroyed when they came out of the Red Sea. They were drowned behind them. It's all symbolic of what we have in Jesus. It's awesome. We, Paul also calls it, we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. There's been a transformation that's taken place. There's been a baptism that's taken place. Okay? And 50 days later, they have, we have the Exodus. We have the Red Sea. And 50 days later, they show up at Mount Sinai. And it's the beginning of the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost which we also celebrate the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've got all three baptisms right there that I just talked about. You have the Passover lamb, which is, has to do with being baptized into the body of Christ. You have the baptism uh, of Moses, which is in symbolic of the water baptism today in the New Testament. And then you have at Mount Sinai, we're going to get into that right now, we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was 50 days later. Okay? I want to compare some things. I'm not going to go from scripture to scripture here, but the, basically I'm going to compare Acts chapter, I'm, excuse me, I'm going to compare Exodus chapter 19 with Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to list about seven or eight different things that happened in, at Mount Sinai and, the, and, how, and, and, and what happened in the Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. Okay? I mean, you know, we are not at Mount Sinai anymore. We are Mount Zion. Okay? We are the church of the firstborn. Hebrews chapter 12 talks a lot about that. We are not at Mount Sinai. We are the church of the firstborn. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Mount Zion. Okay? Hopefully you're following me this, this morning. The first thing I want you to take notice that in, the, in Exodus chapter 19, God chartered a new nation. But in Acts chapter 2, God chartered a new creation. A new church. In Exodus chapter 19, and I don't have a specific reference for this. I'm talking generally. I'm, I'm doing a lot of paraphrasing right here. But, I mean, you know, when you have a nation, you have a law. And there was a law given. The ways of God, the holiness of God was revealed. They were made kings and priests. If you study the law, they, the kings and priests were established in the law. They were talked about in the law. They didn't have kings yet, but they were coming. But there were some laws of how the kings were supposed to operate because they were coming. They, they were called a peculiar people. They were blessed above all the other nations of the earth. Starting, I mean, all the nations of the world, they didn't have, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have social media. They didn't have news channels. But all the world knew what was going on in Egypt with this exodus. Because when they got to the promised land, when they got to Jericho, all the people were fearing. Were in fear. We have the whole story of Rahab 
and the, and the spies with Joshua. And how Rahab said, the people are fearful because of you. There were, there were, the, there were the news travels. Even with tech, without technology, news traveled. And all the, they knew Israel was a blessed nation. I've talked about this before when I talked about tithes and offerings. Tithe is nothing but more the first fruits. And why were they, they were so special? Because Israel was the first fruits so that God can have all the nations of the world. This is, this is awesome. If you, I don't have time to teach all that right now. But in the Old Testament, they were kings and priests and peculiar people. But in the New Testament, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, we are a peculiar people. We are a royal nation. We are kings and priests. We became a nation. We are, it, it says in, in Romans chapter 9, not all Israel is of Israel. It says in Revelation chapter 5 that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And he has made us kings and priests to rule the earth. So one of my comparisons is, is that in Exodus chapter 19, when the law was given, God made a, God chartered a new nation, but here in the New Testament, God has chartered a new church, a new congregation. He's chartered a new creation, those of us who are in Christ. The second thing I just want to highlight real quick, in Exodus chapter 19, we have thundering and lightning and trumpet noise. They heard the voice of God and it was like a trumpet. It was lightning and thundering on Mount Sinai. The mountain shook. How many of you know if you have a lot of lightning and, and, and thunder, you're going to have a lot of wind? Have you ever been in a thunderstorm? Have you ever been in, in where there's a lot of thundering and lightning? Have you not had wind? Well, in Acts chapter 2, there was a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. In Mount Sinai, we have thunder and lightning. And in, Mount, in Acts chapter 2, we have a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind. I don't know about you, but I see a comparison there. The third one is, uh, that I want to mention is that in, 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 in Exodus chapter 19, the mountain was on fire. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, they had received tons of fire that sat on each of them. Hopefully I'm making sense. Hopefully you're not getting distracted with uh, trying to find all these references. Because uh, I, I, that's, not, that's, not, that's not my purpose right now. In Acts chapter 19, I mean in Exodus 19, excuse me, the Ten Commandments were given. The law was given. The law of God was written by the finger of God on two stone tablets. Remember that? The finger of God wrote out the Ten Commandments, written on stone. But in Acts chapter 2, Paul said it this way in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that we are living epistles, not written with ink, but on, on tablets of stone, but written by God. God had, the finger of God has written his love, his nature, his word as living epistles on our hearts versus how he did it in the Old Testament. He wrote, the finger of God wrote on the law on stones uh, he, he had written on our hearts. We are living epistles of God. I don't have, again, uh, uh, um, go with me real quick. Let's do, let's do go to this one real quick. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I spent a lot of time talking about this in, 
years years ago. But I, I'm not going to teach all this right now, but I do want to reference it. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Go ahead and go to verse 2 real quick. I'm going to re, re, recap the last point I just made about the finger of God. We'll go to verse 2. Second Corinthians 3 verse 2. It says, You are in our epistles written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of flesh that is of the heart. But I, I want to go down, skip down to verse 7. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glor glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses, because of the glory of his countenance which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even that which was made glorious has no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. There's a lot being said here, but I've taught this many times, especially in, in regards to righteousness. But Paul's making a comparison between the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation with the ministry of righteousness, which is the ministry of the Spirit. We're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. And the ministry, Paul, Paul and he's using Moses as an example, is comparing the ministry of death and condemnation, which has to do with the law of Moses, comparing it with the ministry of righteousness and the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of righteousness is the ministry of the Spirit. And there's two different ministries. He goes on to say in chapter 5, he calls it the ministry of reconciliation. There's a ministry. There's a, the word ministry here is also called, in the Greek, it's called the administration. You know, when you have a new president, you have what we call the Trump administration. We had the Reagan administration. Every president had their administration. Well, there's administration of the law, which is the administration of death and, and, and condemnation. And, and it had glory. But the, the ministry of the Spirit... The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Jesus was teaching about the kingdom of God for 40 days. And the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, uh, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And so whereas in Exodus we have the ministry of condemnation and death. In the New Testament we have the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of righteousness. The next comparison I want to make. In Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 19, 3,000 people died that day. But in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people got saved. Remember the golden calf? The Aaron just happened to, to throw together? Okay? And 3,000 people died that day. But in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached the gospel, 3,000 people got saved. There's a difference. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, that to me that that one's that one just speaks enough right for itself. The next one I just want to cover real quick. <clears throat> I think this is my last one. But in Exodus chapter nineteen, they all heard God speak in their own tongue. 
Over two million, it says over two million people left Egypt. Heard the audible voice of God at the same time in their own tongue, in their own language. I mean, so, some of us have never heard the audible voice of God. We've heard God speak, but we never heard the audible voice of God. Two million people heard, all heard the audible voice of God at the same time in their own language. Remember, there was a mixed multitude. <laughs> they left. They all heard God. In Acts chapter 2, thousands had come for the Feast of Weeks, and they had each heard God speak in their native tongue the wonderful works of God. They both heard God. They both heard a supernatural language. In Acts chapter 2, people from all over the world began to hear the wonderful works of God. That's a part, that's a phrase I love the most. I just can't get over that. The wonderful works of God. People call tongues speaking of the devil. Why is the devil saying the wonderful works of God? That does not add up. That does not compute. People from all over the world began to hear the wonderful works of God being spoke in their own tongue. And not only were they hearing the wonderful works of God in their own tongue, they were hearing the wonderful works of God being spoken in their own tongue by unlearned Galileans. They were un unlearned men. They did, they did not understand these different languages. But they began to utter these things by the Holy Spirit. And these nationals that came from all over the world for this Feast of Weeks not only heard their tongue, but some translations bring out how they heard it in their own dialect. How many of you know the dialect in New York is different than the dialect in California? The dialect in the South is different than the dialect in Texas and uh, different places. We have some friends from Karis Bible College, and uh, Daniel Ansep's always um, made, made, made uh, fun of it. He says, we, we speaking, uh, he, uh, um, it was a... Uh, Ashley and Carly Teredes, how he always said how they uh, are English, because they're from England, and now how we speak English, because uh, they had a strong accent. They had a strong accent. They had a strong dialect. But not only did these people hear, hear their own tongue, they heard their own dialect as well. That's, that's awesome. That just takes it to another level for me. But they, the key was, it's not that they just heard tongues. They didn't just hear a bunch of noise. They heard the wonderful works of God being spoken in their own tongue and in some places their own dialect. When Pentecost had fully come, this was already a feast of weeks. People, remember I said that all three of these feasts, every able male had to come to it every year. It was like, you know, I used to be part of the Foursquare, and we would have a convention every year. Andrew has some, uh, uh, some conferences in Colorado where it seems like every year they, they come. And they come celebrate as one family under one roof. And it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's, very, it's like a family reunion. But some people, some of these are missionaries and ministers all over the world, and they come for this, this conference or some of the different conferences he has. But when Pentecost had fully come, Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And Pentecost had been something they'd been celebrating since Mount Sinai. 
since the law. Leviticus chapter 3 talks about how, how this was supposed to be part of the law. And many things took place. And many things were taking place on this Pentecost, the birth of God's church, when the Holy Spirit was being poured out on all flesh, according to the prophet Joel. And many things were taking place. And the response to what was taking place, but there was thousands of people who were observing what's taking place, and some of the responses, some of them were amazed and marveled at it, but some were amazed and were doubted, and some began to mock what was going on, saying these people are drunk. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was certainly miraculous, but the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in and of itself did not save people. It did not convert people. Actually, in some people, it did bring confusion. It did bring a mockery. Why? Why? Because they were struggling to understand the meaning of it. <coughs> Keep in mind, who's the baptizer of the Holy Spirit? Jesus. And some of these nationals who came were not born again yet. <laughs> and they're not going to understand spiritual things when they haven't even been born again yet. But the miracle got their attention. But it was Peter's preaching and his, his own native tongue. Peter was speaking in tongues. But it wasn't until Peter began to preach in his own native tongue that people began to get saved. People were saved when they heard the gospel, when Peter preached the gospel. The tongues got their attention in this, in this context, in this atmosphere. But the real miracle took place when they became saved by the preaching of the gospel by Peter. They were confused. Some, were, they were, some of them were confused. Some of them began to mock what was going on. And some of this confusion and mockery was because of ignorance. And some people have, even to this day, have been confused and mocked the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Some of that's because of ignorance. But some of it is because, some of it has been done in, in, in the spirit of goofiness. Of lack, lack of a better term. Taking place... Some of our booths, if I can say, this is a tabernacle of booths, tabernacle, you know, and some of our booths, some of our churches, some of our assemblies, there's some, it's just been goofy. Some, it just hasn't been taught. Peter had to explain what was going on. And we need to explain what's going on so people can understand it. I mean, you know, even when you explain something, some people are going to receive it and some people are going to reject it. They have that choice. You have, you have the right to receive it. You have the right to reject the message. You have the right to receive the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, the, your Passover lamb. You have the right to refuse it. You have the right to re receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you have the right to reject it. Okay? It's not forcing anyone. You know, um, I am not justifying people's mockery of tongues and of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But in some cases, I do understand their mockery. I don't, I don't agree with it. I'm not justifying it. But sometimes I understand their mockery. Because I understand what some people have gone through or I have experienced. At the same time, I also believe that if we do everything decently in order... Anytime we get, get into the supernatural, there will always be those who will mock the things of God. They will be there. Jesus promised they would be there. Okay? I don't mind being mocked for loving Jesus. 
I don't mind being mocked for loving people. I don't mind being mocked for operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and supernatural power. I don't mind being mocked for seeing the impossible made possible. Yet I also don't want to be foolish. I don't want to be careless. I don't want to be insensitive. I don't want to be goofy with the things of the Spirit of God. I want to be a church, a booth, that is mocked because it's, it's God and it's true. Not because we are being foolish. Am I making sense? That's just my heart. But in that mocking that was taking place, even by some of those nationals, not all of them, because 3,000 people, 3,000 of them got saved that day. So they were all mocking. But there were some that were mocking. But it was in that mocking that by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Peter stood up and preached the gospel. He was, speak, he was speaking in tongues. But he began to speak in his native tongue to bring, to, to deal with the confusion and some of the mockery. That making sense? There's a time to pray in tongues. There's a time to speak in tongues. There's a time to sing in tongues. But there's also a time to speak in your own native language for it to be edifying. Okay? He addressed the confusion in his known tongue. This, in other words, this is what which was prophesied by the, he began to talk about how this was prophesied by the prophet Joel. He began to, to speak uh, how these things were so. I like it because Peter took the crowd to the word of God. Verified all that took place by the word of God. This is how we should address things. Not in our own wisdom, but by the word of God. We need to bring people how many of you know the Holy Spirit, he has many different aspects, but one of the things he is, he's our teacher. He's the spirit of truth. And no one can come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit leads them. The Holy Spirit wants to lead everyone, and I want, like I said, can reject the leading. But, but uh, the Holy Spirit is going to lead people, and the Holy Spirit led people to sp speak in tongues, but he also led people like Peter to preach the gospel. He led Philip to go preach the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. He led Peter to go preach the gospel to Cornelius and his household. He led Philip, to, he even translated Philip to go preach the gospel to Samaria. And we have other parts where Paul preached to the disciples of Apollos and different things. We have all kinds, of, in the book of Acts, we, are, we see how they were led by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. Okay? We need to, and we need to lead people, not to tongues, we need to lead people to the word of God. And after they are, are, are introduced to God and receive the gospel and are baptized into his church, we can water baptize them like the apostles did, like Peter, like Philip did, like, like Stephen did, like other people did. And then we can also invite them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we do all that by the word of God. That makes sense? Now, I don't know how much time I have left. About 15 minutes left. I'm going to start some uh, talking about some of these manifestations that took place. Um, and I'll start talking about tongues a little bit. But I'm going to spend more time on tongues next week. Okay. There were many manifestations that took place when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came. Tongues is one of those. It's not the only manifestation. But it's one of the major ones. It's usually the one that people have the hardest time digesting and processing. 
there's some other ones that I'm not going to, I'm nowhere in any shape or form are highlighting all of them right now. I'm just going to name a couple. There's the power to forgive. You need, in order to forgive, you, it's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to teach on all this right now, but in Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about how we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't forgive one another and when we don't treat, treat one another right, when we're not kind to one another, not loving, not long-suffering with one another. We grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, etc. It's the Holy Spirit that leads you to be kind to someone and be gentle with someone, to be long-suffering for someone, to forgive someone. I don't know about you, but there's some people who have, who have offended me. And some people have some worse than others. And it takes the Holy Spirit to help me to learn how to forgive. It's, it takes faith to forgive. The lack of forgiveness is a lack of faith. And where does faith come from? The Word of God. Okay? Um, we're not the If we forgive someone, that's not because we're good. It's because the God who in us is good. <laughs> okay? Boldness. Boldness is another one. The, the, these, I mean, I don't know if you ever thought about this, and I've thought about this for years. These disciples, I mean, when Jesus was arrested, they all fled. Peter gets called in the carpet for denying him three times, but they all fled. They all ran. They all deserted him. They all ran for their lives. They were confused. They were miserable. Their hero, their master, they, they had left everything to follow this guy for three and a half years. And all of a sudden, in one instance, he's taken away and crucified. He told them over and over again what was going to happen, but they didn't understand it yet. One, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet to understand it. <coughs> they, were not the, they were not the greatest motley crew. They were not the, the, the brightest crayons in the cram box or the sharpest knives in the drawer. And yet God, I mean, there was a tax collector. They had Judas a thief. They had Peter with a bad mouth. Even Peter said, I'm a man with unclean lips. You know, and, and he didn't have the, the brightest people. I mean, he was constantly rebuking them for their lack of faith and correcting them. He loved them. He loved them dearly. He was devoted to them. He was loyal to them. They were loyal to him. And yet, when they received the Holy Spirit, they were standing before religious leaders preaching the gospel. And they, they, had, they knew that these men not only were unlearned, but they had been with Jesus. There was something different about these men. There was a different boldness and passion and clarity. I mean, for Peter to preach the gospel at Pentecost to, and 3,000 people get saved was a miracle of itself. But it was done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It, tongues is only one of the manifestations. But there was a boldness. That they, not a, I didn't say a revolt. They didn't revolt. They didn't cause a riot. But they preached the word of God with boldness. There's a difference. Stephen preached the word of God boldly, even though he was being stoned. There's a difference. There's a difference. There's some other aspects, and, and I can bring this out in other scriptures, but they begin to speak in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms and their hearts and melody and hearts to the Lord by the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a difference between speaking in psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms to one another versus murmuring and complaining. How many times were, did Israel murmur and complain? Did you, did you know that 
Before the law was given, every time they murmured and complained, God did a miracle. Water from a rock. Manna from heaven. But after the law was given, every time they murmured and complained, someone died. There's a difference. And that, 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 that's a whole other message in and of itself. But when we magnify God instead of magnifying the problem, we're going to get results. And how many you know that when they began to speak tongues, they were speaking the wonderful things of God? We need to get our folk. The Holy Spirit will help you to speak in psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. There's times where Sherry and I, because we're going through something, we will just crank up the worship music a little bit. Take it up a notch. We need to hear that. We need to get that in our minds. Sometimes it takes a few minutes. Sometimes it takes a few hours. Sometimes it takes all week. But sometimes we got to get that in our mind and stop focus on the junk that we're going through. And the Holy Spirit will lead us. The Holy Spirit will, will guide us and minister to us. There's some other things I can go on and on and on and on. Uh, I'm gonna, I am going to touch on these things a little bit more uh, a little bit later in our study. We're not done yet. But starting now and, and until next week, and I only have uh, probably less than 10 minutes left now, we're going to be talking about tongues a little bit because that's the, really the elephant in the room. That's really the problem people get hung up on. But there was this manifestation of, of tongues that began to take place at Pentecost in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2. And it began to take place in other, other accounts in the book of Acts that we've already discussed. We see this in Acts chapter 2 verse 4. We see this in Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius and his household received the gospel, heard the gospel, and while Peter was still preaching, they began to pray and began to speak in tongues. There was an evidence of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, actually, if you turn there real quick, I want you to see something. Acts chapter 19, I've highlighted this before. I'm going to highlight it again, and I may even come back to it one more time later on. But Acts 19, Paul is ministering to the, the disciples of Apollos. They had not heard of the Holy Spirit. So Paul brings that, brings them up to speed on the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. <coughs> and when they, these disciples of Apollos, heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Prophecy is also a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Joel said uh, in these last days, the Spirit will, will be poured out upon all flesh, and they will prophesy. You know, prophecy, and I'll spend a little more time on this later, Prophecy is one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we are to desire. Paul says we are to desire. We are to earnestly desire these gifts. And speaking in, uh, to me, prophecy, what tongues is speaking in an unknown tongue, prophecy is speaking in an unknown tongue, both by the Holy Spirit. And both are to be edifying. Okay? I'll spend more time on that a little bit later. But in Acts chapter 8, um, this one's probably a little more complicated, but uh, uh, let me just see what I can do with this. Act, go with me to Acts chapter 8 real quick. We'll probably end up here because this might take the remainder of our time. Acts chapter 8. Phillips, we spent a lot of time in here, but there's one part of the story we have not looked at yet. 
Philip's been ministering to Samaria. He's already ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's been, he's been ministering to Samaria. And they've already received the gospel. And were baptized into the name of Jesus. But in this whole story, we have the story of Simon the sorcerer. And he's kind of an interesting fella that's, that was there. Sorcery, that means he's already involved in witchcraft and sorcery type of stuff. That's why we don't like Harry Potter. That's a little footnote. Verse 14, I'll pick up verse 14, Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that the Samaria had received the word of God. Actually, I, I, I'm going to fast forward to verse 18. Okay, let's go down to verse 18 for, for time. Okay, uh, I just distracted you by doing all that. Again, Philip has been ministering the gospel. They got saved. They got water baptized. They have not received the Holy Spirit yet. The apostles came, specifically Peter and John had come. I think some other apostles came as well. And they began to minister about the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's what we're picking up here. Verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of Simon, he was watching. He was upon him. He got saved. He got water baptized. And when he saw that through the laying on hands, apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was... Let me read again. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on, on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, Your, your money perish with you, because you, through the, you thought that the gift of God can't, could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this, this your wickedness, and pray, God, that perhaps through the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which... Anyway, I'm reading to this a little fast. Let me, let me just say this. Because, you know, some people think that there's some examples where where I believe that there is being baptized in the Holy Spirit there is evidence of speaking in tongues but there's a couple accounts where it seems like well they didn't receive the speaking in tongues because when you read this account in Acts chapter 8 it's not clear that they began to speak in tongues. It was clear, clear with Cornelius. It was clear uh, with some other passage of scripture, but it's not clear here. And so some people think that, that speaking in tongues is not uh, always an evidence. But I want you to know something here. Simon the sor sorcerer, who already operated in sorcery, he operated in demonic supernatural. He, in other words, let me just paraphrase it. He operated on the dark side. <laughs> Okay, those of you who have watched Star Wars. He was operating the dark side. But when Philip ministered and Paul, I mean, uh, Peter and John and the apostles ministered, Simon the sorcerer saw something. See, maturity is not automatic. It takes time to mature. Okay, that's a whole other subject. But... When Peter and John, the apostles, laid their hands and they received 
the Holy Spirit. It says back here in verse 18, I think it was, that he saw. When, when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. How many of you know you can't see the Holy Spirit? Remember, I spent one whole hour talking about how the Holy Spirit is like a wind. You can't see the Holy Spirit. You can't see wind. But you know he's there. How do you know he's there? How do you know wind's there? You can feel it. He saw something. You can't see the Holy Spirit. If, I let, if you receive the Holy Spirit, I, you, I can't see the Holy Spirit come in your life. I can't see that. But there's an effect. He saw something. He didn't see the Holy Spirit because you can't see the Holy Spirit. He's a spirit. It's, a, it's like a wind. But he saw something. I know it's windy because even when I look out the window because I see the leaves moving. I see the branches in the trees. Sometimes other things flying around. You know, I can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. He had, and you know, they, I mean, we already know earlier in the story, they were already saved, they were already bapt, water baptized, they were already born again. But we see that Simon saw a manifestation. He offered them money to have this power, because his and Peter addressed that. He dressed it pretty harshly. Because Simon was coveting the power, not the miracles. But Simon saw something. Again, you can't see the Holy Spirit, you can't see the wind. But all you can see is the manifestations of the Holy Spirit bringing positive damage, positive effects in people's lives. But verse 21, real quick. Peter says, you have neither part nor portion in this matter... Keyword matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. When you study this word matter in the Greek, it's the word logos, which means word. It means to utter something. You have no other part nor portion in this matter. And that word matter is the word logos, and it means word. It means to utter something. Okay? I believe... They spoke in tongues. Okay. Well, let me just uh, wrap up on one more. And I'll close with this. Because we're going to be talking about tongues a little bit next week. And we'll, we'll pick it up from here. When Paul, who was Saul, got converted. Remember Saul? He was kind of the bad guy. And he got converted and became a good guy. He was killing Christians. And then he became one of the greatest apostles we ever knew. But when Saul got converted, and he went to Ananias, this is all in Acts chapter 9, and I don't have time to read the context. Ananias laid hands on him, and scales fell off his eyes, but he also received the Holy Spirit. There's nowhere mentioned anywhere in Acts chapter 19 that he began to speak in tongues. Yet when Paul preached to Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's dealing with a church that is speaking like tongues like there's no tomorrow. Okay? And he wasn't forbidding them, but he was teaching them how to speak in tongues decently and in order. There's a time to do it. And there's a time not to do it. How many know there's a time to talk and there's a time to be quiet? I had to learn that in school. Okay? I had to learn that in home. I'm still learning that from my wife from time to time. Okay? There's a time to be quiet. Okay? But, and, and, but to a tongue-talking church, 
He wasn't ta- Paul wasn't addressing someone who didn't believe in tongues. He was addressing a church that was talking. Uh, they, I mean, it was coming out their ears, tongues. It was coming out so much. But he says, I speak in tongues more than you all. He deals, and we'll, we'll deal with 1 Corinthians 14 a little bit more later. Here's my point. Some people think that tongues is not a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, or it doesn't have to be a manifestation. They use, they'll use these two references and some others to, one, with uh, Samaritans, which I address. And then when they use this one where Paul, it doesn't show that Paul spoke in tongues when he received the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Paul preaches and teaches, I speak in tongues more than you all. And he said this to a church that was speaking in tongues left and right. Okay. I'll bring, I'll bring some clarity to some of this, but let me just say this in summary. I just want to fast forward to this, and then I'll come back and fill in some of the blanks later. Um, I believe you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. But I also believe everyone who has been filled with the Holy Spirit can speak with tongues. Let me rephrase that. Or let me say that again. I believe you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues. But I also believe everyone who has been filled with the Holy Spirit can speak with tongues. And there are many reasons why some people struggle with speaking in tongues who have received the Holy Spirit. And I'll deal with some of these later. There's some different hang-ups. There's different blockages. Some of them have to do with this confusion I was talking about. Has to do with wrong teaching or no teaching on the matter. Some of it is just fear due to all the goofy they've seen, and they don't. They're just they're, there's there's a fear factor. I mean, you know, when you're fear when you fear something, you can be a paralytic. If you have a fear of heights and you start climbing a, a ladder, you can lock up and, and and become paralyzed. When you fear something, you can be it, it can be a paralytic. And some people don't speak in tongues because they've seen a lot of goofy and they don't want to be goofy themselves. And so it, there's a fear factor that's, that, that's involved. But some people think, if ton, let me just say this. If tongues is of the devil, and some people teach this, everyone in jail is not speaking in tongues. Every gang member before they commit robbery, rape, and kill people, they're not speaking in tongues. If you never find tongues among those who are serving the devil, you can't find tongues among those who are serving the Lord. And, you know, there's, there's no scriptural reference for tongues being of the devil. Because I've never met one person who's living for the devil speaking tongues. Yet I, I see people who are hungry for God and sincere, love God, speaking tongues. And, uh, and there's evidence. We're, we're going to spend more time on tongues. We're not done with this. I know this is, is a sensitive subject. What did we learn today? We learned mainly about Pentecost. And it's one, of the, it's one of the three feasts. And it's 50 days after Passover. I believe the most important thing that anyone needs to know is Passover. You need to receive Jesus. You can go to heaven if you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can go to heaven if you have not been water baptized. But you can't go to heaven if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's more important. And you can't receive water baptism. And you can't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you have not been saved. That's the most important. But there's some other things that God's given us. There is the importance of water baptism. There is something about, you know, Sherry and I got married, but we also had a ceremony to celebrate that. Tell the whole world, hey, we're married. <laughs> you know? 
in case you forgot, we have a Renon and some other things that we, we have that are reminders, you know, uh, and to the whole world. And water baptism is one of those things that we, we celebrate that. We proclaim to the world, I am baptized into Jesus. About uh, the same point in time, I, but now that, you know, when I, when I minister to people and I, I've been asked to do weddings at times, I'll do the wedding. And I want the wedding to be very special for them. But I'm more concerned about the marriage than I am the wedding. The wedding is a one-time event. It will come and go. But I'm more concerned about that marriage, that relationship. And the Holy Spirit is one of those things that we have to enhance this relationship we have with God. But it also enhances us, empowers us to minister to other people so they can come into the kingdom of God as well. And so we'll handle some other things that we'll talk about as well. We'll spend time on this. I want to deal with tons next week. I know it's a touchy subject. But I want to, again, as Peter did, I want to bring you to the Word of God on it. Okay? Uh, Peter dealt with some mockery, but he de- he he brought the word of God. I know we didn't use a, I, I referred to a lot of scriptures today. Didn't have you turn to a lot of scriptures today. That's not because they're not there. I can give you those references if you want them. Uh, but uh, anyway, I hope that makes sense. We will have Bible study tonight at six o'clock. An effortless change. I'm very excited about this new Bible study we're starting. And we just got to the introduction last week. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. Lord, I thank you for this gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for anyone who has not received the Holy Spirit, all you have to do is say, is just say, Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Just the same way you receive Christ, you can receive the Holy Spirit into your life by faith. And Jesus said, if you ask, you will receive. And just simply ask and say, I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I receive this gift. I receive the promise of the Father. And I receive it right now in Jesus' name. Thank you. If you've asked that, you've received it. You might need some more coaching. You might need some more uh, how to, to uh, with this whole tongues thing that we'll get into next week. And we'll introduce that next week. Have a little more detail, spend more time on it. Uh, my whole heart as a pastor is to eliminate the confusion. I can explain it to you. I can't. I can't make you understand it. That, that that's the job of the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. That's not my job. My job is to explain it to you. Hopefully, in a way you can understand it. But I can't make you understand it. That makes sense. Uh, and, and anyway, I, I saw that from someone uh, a few weeks ago, and I like that. I can explain it to you. I can't make you understand it. So, um, anyway, God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you tonight.